It's the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. On today's show, Andrew Knowlton and I sit down with Georgia's own Hugh Atchison. Actually, actually, he's not even from Georgia. He's Canadian. But been in Georgia a long time, a fierce advocate of Southern cooking. Uh, he's the owner of 5 and 10 and the National in Athens, Georgia, the Florence in Savannah, and Empire State South in Atlanta. Uh, written a bunch of books. You've seen him on Top Chef. So, Andrew Knowlton and I talked to Hugh about the state of modern Southern cuisine, what to order at the Waffle House, and how Hugh might even be a better artist than he is a chef. All right, let's do this. Hugh Atchison, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to New York. We were supposed to hook up with you in Portland last month, but... Your flight got delayed? What My happened? flight got delayed massively on the way out there. Well, Nolton and I were observing, if you follow you on Instagram or Twitter, you fly a lot. I do fly a lot. I've been doing just a lot of stuff. And I think we were wondering why. Consulting and just different guest chefs, gigs, a lot of st- during the summer. I mean, festival season and stuff like that. But I don't do that many festivals anymore. So three or four or five, maybe a year. Are you, are you a... Are you a travel junkie, though? Do you feel like if you're at home for more than two months that you get that jonesing to hit the road? Two months, more two, two months, weeks. Two days. <laughs> um, <laughs> two days. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like traveling. You know your and wife might hear this podcast. Yeah, I know. She'll, she'll hear it. That's okay. I've heard it from her. Um, so, no, I mean, I, I, you, there's just a, I think, the life of chefdom these days when you have a number of restaurants and you're just you're offered a lot of other things to do and consult and help other brands yeah. out and things like that. Well, how do you? Because so. it's interesting. Because like being a chef these days, you're 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 more than a chef. You're a business person. You're an entrepreneur, um, and you have to sort of. It seems you have to maintain a momentum of constantly or at a steady flow of doing new things, new projects. How do you decide what to do, what not to do? How do you maintain that balance? Uh, balance is probably the most difficult thing. I think you just have to analyze every project like it's 100% your own, whether it's just a consulting thing or not. And uh, you have to be behind it and you have to believe in the project. And But we all have to pay the bills too. Yeah. So, you know, in a low margin business, this buffers it by a lot by doing some other things. The low margin business gonna, being running a restaurant. Being running four restaurants, yeah. 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 You're, and, try, and, you're trying to make up for all your poor decisions. Yes, yes. <laughs> over the many, many years I've been doing this. So. But well, I, ima- yeah. I imagine sometimes it's like, you know, it's like being an actor. You need to take that blockbuster movie because you need a paycheck. And there's certain jobs you must do because, like, hey, that's going to pay well and that will allow me to do these other things that are more interesting or, or Yeah, the but we're under a radar and there's transparency in the world. So, you know, we have to be careful about brands we represent and what we do and, and how we do it. You know, if a, a major chicken plant place, you know, wants me to – pimp their stuff, it's, I'm probably going to say no. You know, it's just not – because it just doesn't align with my food policy stuff yeah. that I do and that I don't get paid for and I'm very active in. And, and uh, I've got a mandate to to get across what I feel about food and it's important. So you have to be – you don't want to be contradictory. What's, well, what's the last, like, consulting gig you've, you've been doing that you've been proud of that you're psyched about? Um, we did some work, work with a, a Denver-based uh, group called Punchbowl Social that's expanding – 
greatly. They're at seven units now across this. And it's kind of like Brooklyn Bowl. I mean, they're mm. they're beautiful, um, sort of millennial focused bowling alleys and uh, karaoke rooms and stuff like that. Do you that. know this joint, Nolan? I do not. Wow. And there's one in Austin and Portland and Denver. So and is it a little bit like Alamo Draft House in Austin? And there's one in Br- Williamsburg now in Alamo Draft House. No, it? it's it's not movies. It's more gaming. Okay, um, but with decent food. But now decent food. We yeah. revamped their food program and got stuff that we think is really doable for their crews in there and uh, really took a different focus on their food. So with a gig like that, because you always hear about chefs being brought on as consultant, how does that work? Do you go in for a couple of days, talk to them? Do you actually develop dishes with them in their kitchens? Like, who's doing yeah, what? Yeah, I mean, they're, they have a full set of uh, amazing chefs. So mm-hmm. I can go and uh, give them a new sort of uh, menu and test out recipes and down to the gram and everything and and figured out already for them and, and just sort of plot their direction a little bit and uh, just give them a... What I'm trying to do is take nuance that we find in independent fine dining and bring it to a larger scale, mm-hmm. which is, to me, it's... It's fun because it's challenging. Yeah. Um, it's uh, how do you do that, yeah. and and how do you preach sustainability and uh, beliefs and in, in from scratch cooking uh, in you know businesses that really have are profitable because they cut corners. So we're trying to make them not cut corners at all and really pr- do great food. That's but you seasonal. also must have to you this being a consulting gig, you must be have to be very mindful of the margins and food costs and all that sort of stuff. Yes, no. Maybe. I mean, yes and no, but they're setting all that stuff on their let own. Let them worry internally. about it. Yeah, did I mean, you, not let them worry about it. We want to be smart with yeah. them, but that's not my primary. Concern. Did you have to go do research trips to Dave and Buster's just to see what see what the thing was? <laughs> yeah, I mean, no. I, have you been to a Dave and Buster's before? I don't. I've never. Have, oh no, I have. I have not either. You've I've been never, to Chuck E. Cheese. You never took your daughters to Dave and Buster's? No, that's there's an adult. That's dude, an adult arcade. Is it? There's yeah. one. There's one in Times Square now, and my son. I've had to take him there a few times, <laughs> and it's like the. It's like an assault on your sensory system. Just like because the, the how old is now, your son? He's nine now, or almost. And you take nine. him to the adult arcades? It's not an adult <laughs> arcade. I don't. It's got video games. Yes, there's a bar here, but it's like. Does Chuck E. Cheese serve beer? I don't know. Oh. I have a question, Hugh. You're very active on Instagram and Twitter. And mm-hmm. I follow you on both. What, what's your handle, Hugh Atchison? Atchison. Yep. At Hugh Atchison on both. I have two questions. One is, when you respond to Delta about your bad trips that you have, do they respond to you and give you stuff for free? Does that work? Well, You're always like at Delta, like, thanks a lot, Delta, for the delay. I'm not mean about it. I, I want to be funny with them because I, I see how many people it, – it used to be at Delta Assist, but they actually got rid of it. Now you have to go to uh, at Delta for everything. Okay. But Delta, I fly a lot. And actually, Delta, I love you. Sometimes it's really positive. Sometimes it's negative. I'm not griping like to no one. I'm just right. griping to the whole organization. Yeah. And, but you know what? Oddly enough, they respond. Do they? they respond really promptly and it's hilarious. And, and it, we have this great repartee between me and some Delta people. So, <laughs> So my next question is how much is social – Social media must a, a, a chef in 2016 engage in that. I, you enjoy it, I think. Yeah, it, it comes across. It's me. It's sincere. It's sincere. But how much you have to have a presence on social media if you're a chef? Do you? I think you do. I mean, I think you do and you don't. I mean, I, th- I think the concept of being a chef these days is people want to understand you and they want to understand your life, and I think they want to understand it more than food. I think that. Uh, it's you know if if I ran a if I ran my own personal account as a chef of just pictures of the food I did I would expect that unless that food was stunningly beautiful to look at right. that you would get extraordinarily bored. Right. Um, but 
pictures of my shoes and airport carpets to me are interesting. You and like it those. sort of yeah. document where you are in life and what you're doing and but, what you're going through. But you also share your personal life which i'm always kind of uh torn about on my instagram feed like you share pictures of your daughters and stuff and i, I don't know i'm always like wait is that do people want to see that or is that sort of like uh, you know how do you sort of decide what to share personally i ask them so your daughters have a say in the matter yeah do you, do you really ask them yeah I usually after do. the fact unless or it's thoroughly embarrassing <laughs> then yeah. i'll just go ahead and post it <laughs> um but you know i don't know it's like in in this world where there's i mean there's just so much information out there already. It doesn't really matter. You want to Google pictures of my kids? Yeah. Don't be creepy about it, but they're out there. It's like, whatever. Uh, yeah, it comes and goes pretty quickly these days. You also have on your, I love, like, I basically, I feel like I do know you, but I feel like I really know you just because I follow you on Twitter and Instagram. And people like, that's the crazy thing about Instagram and stuff. Like people you, you haven't seen in a year, like, oh my God, your vacation looks so amazing. How was it? How was, how was Sicily? And like, you're like, wow, yeah. I have not even talked to you since 1990, yeah. but they know no, exactly where no, you no, went. No, no, Usually you it's like, I have never met you, but. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's like, we share it. It's like, you have no fine. one to blame. I mean, because you know, you put it out there. hey, yeah, we put it out there. It's like, let's, it doesn't matter. Let's talk about one thing you do on your Instagram. You, you carry around these uh, these little booklets of graph paper, like you're a dungeon master in D and D, and you're drawing right. up little sketches. What you sketch a lot, or like what's your what's your whole yeah, booklet? Deal? I mean, it's just just to document stuff. Ooh, wow. Wow. wow, you wow. just open it up in color. Look at that. Remember yeah, the color? Got, well, I travel with watercolors. Um, it's no, just real, that's not stuff. Water, that, that's magic marker. No, right? Wait, wait, was that a Bon Appetit picture in that? Wait, go back one more. Is that yeah, a like that picture? is. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Wait. So what? So you're fl- explain. So you're flipping through. You've got these beautiful little sketches in it's color. It's maps. Like this is Portland. So that's a basic whatever. And this is all the places that I ate and hung out at. And here's shoes. Just whatever. So you're, whatever. Like you're sitting at a bar by yourself doing this. Waiting Usually for a it's plane me sitting or on the plane doing this because I know I have real work to do. So <laughs> look at this radish. You have nice beautiful radishes. Is there is there a work purpose to this? Like oh I want to yeah, take notes. I want to get often, back to. Uh, documenting dishes that we're coming up with but or it's like trips like this is a trip coming up to Reykjavik um, and you have beautiful little photos from magazine cut and pasted in there paste, like, yeah cut it's out just and doodles and stuff you know it's uh, like whatever so have you incorporated that your books haven't had any of these pretty cool drawings that you're showing have Wait, they that is literally watercolor the first book did the first one yeah, right? yeah. like really do I'm not lying you travel with watercolors yeah they're my bag wow it's just a little watercolor kid. <laughs> that is impressive. I feel like such a he's wow. a Renaissance man. I, this yeah. guy. Don't I, forget, he's not American. He's Canadian. Well, I know. So I, know, I noticed a, a moment ago you said "oot." <laughs> I went out. Yeah, you, you're not. You get, you're not from around these parts. You get yeah, house and about. Yeah, and, about, and, about, and, yeah. yeah about are the are the are the tells of the Canadian? Yeah. But I'm I'm actually dual now, which is great. Does so, it come out more when you've had a few like Molsons? Uh, yes, eh? You're yep. from, but you're yep. from Ottawa. I'm from Ottawa. Ottawa. Lived in Montreal for a long time. Okay. So, yeah. So how long did it, you know, you, I feel like you were a big part of the Southern Renaissance in food. Um, Explain the Southern Renaissance. Well, I, I, I think there was a... I don't know what he's talking about, so that's good. <laughs> I think, well, for, for, I can only speak for me personally. There, Having grown up in Atlanta, Georgia, there was a kind of a renewed appreciation for a lot of the foods that some of us grew up with that weren't thought of as being kind of high-end dining uh, to some extent, uh, that there was this whole canon to explore and to rediscover a lot of the ingredients that had been lost. And I feel like you and some other Atlanta chefs and some you know uh, people from Charleston were kind of I don't know. I, I mean, I, I became a proud Southerner when you guys were doing that food, and it made me appreciate 
having yeah. been away, appreciate what I grew up with. Yeah, I mean, it, it, for me, it was it was interesting because I am Canadian. Yeah, and so I have this very objective look at Southern food that a lot of Southerners don't get the benefit of. Absolutely, um, because Southerners have this pensions for doing things like, well, my grandmother makes the best biscuits. Right. And even if they're not the best biscuits, they're still they the have best. to And you can't that. argue with that. No, you can't yeah. argue with that. But one thing I did quickly understand when I was down there and living down there, and I, I mean, I've been down there on and off for 25 years, mm-hmm. um, is that it's the culinary hardwood um, of the entire North America. I mean, it's mm-hmm. got more to it and more nuance and interesting and did you, stories. Did, did you and, trademark that, that line? No. The culinary hardwood. Well, versus everywhere else I is like veneer. Have you, have you, you used, have you oh, used you that hear before? That, the veneer. The veneer. Everything else is... Well, it, which is not a bad thing. Veneer can be beautiful, but it's just, damn, it doesn't have Goddamn renaissance man over here. <laughs> <laughs> you, you watercolor. You're a wordsmith. You cook. I, yeah. I, Jesus. I, I, spoken word poetry. <laughs> I walks on the beach. I made my own canoe. Um, Wait, literally? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> so, you know, California cuisine is uh, definitely an important part of the American landscape now as we know it. But California cuisine was developed 30 years ago, 35 years ago, by people like Wolfgang Puck and Alice Waters. And right. he's not even from California. And other cultures have a, have a good amount of food history to them, but there's nothing is as storied and interesting and documented um, as Southern food. Now, Southern food needs to be very clearly defined as it isn't done being defined. It's not a particular point in time. Right. Um, but it, it does have a huge legacy of history to it. A lot of that is born out of slavery mm-hmm. and a lot of very painful things in the past. So it's coming to terms with things that I think are finally starting to happen. But the fine dining aspect of turning um, regular a food that was meant for everyone into fine dining fare is a really dangerous slippery slope. Um, and we've been careful to walk it in the right way, I think, with the food we're trying to serve at the restaurants every day if they have a southern bent to it. But mm-hmm. you can gussy up a thing of chicken and dumplings. That's fine. Um, but, you know, the age of uh, selling grits for $8 is like, meh, meh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But there are aspects to that stuff that I like. That there are aspects that I don't like. Playing the devil's advocate. Uh, if I were from really, yeah, you? I know, I know, you I know. Never didn't see this coming. Kel, Kel Um Let's say if I were from Georgia, I'm like, wait a minute, I don't want this dude from Ottawa telling me how to make Southern food. He's not even from like Toronto or a real city. It's like, really, Jeez. he's coming down here. <laughs> Yeah, to tell I mean, me how to make southern food. Yeah, you can punch him if you want. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I don't. I, I mean, not literally. I'm going to punch him in a figurative way. Um, I would look you straight in the head and say, you, if that's the southern food you believe in, you have no idea where it came from, and the fact that it wasn't brought here by people who were from here. Um, it, it wasn't. It was brought on in the bottom of boats. I imagine when you first started out, did you get that? And it was that yeah, something you I had mean, to respond. I, I got to? that most famously in a big CNN piece I wrote. About about Southern food and calling it an episode in which uh, Paula Dean and I went back and forth on stage one time uh, in a friendly banterish manner about what is Southern food. And I, there were a lot of responses in the, uh, it got like 800 responses and it was, some of them were really crass. What do you know? You're not from mm. around here, mm. uh, which is, you know, it, which is the stupid equivalent of saying it's, yeah. it's it yeah. doesn't mean anything. I, I know more about Southern food than the person who wrote that. Yeah. I trust me. Yeah. Um, you know, but I'm still learning. I'm learning everything about it every day, and I enjoy doing that. But it's uh, it, it is a complex thing. But it just because there's somewhere, 
you know, I think that Andy Ricker proves that just because you're not from Thailand doesn't mean you can't cook excellent Thai food. You can still have a passion for something yeah. more than somebody who's from that part. Yeah. But do you do you find pleasure or or does it does it bother you at all that, you know, if you go to LA or you go to Portland or you go to Boston that you can get pimento cheese sandwiches and, and, and shrimp and grits? Do you find somehow there's a exploitation of the South going on in terms of the ingredients and bastardizing it? Yeah, I mean, the export out of the South of some things like that has been very selective and mm-hmm. very odd. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the collection of what they think, ooh, Southern-y yeah. um, is. So, uh, you know, at some point in time, I'm susceptible to the same thing, which is you don't really understand the South and your mm-hmm. sort of Jim Crow era strange restaurant that you've created here serving shrimp and grits in the middle of nowhere. Right. Um, and it just doesn't really make sense. But but I think that as Southern food is so deep that those people can take those things and make them. I just don't want to see them gussy it up as being too Southern. To me, I just want it to be good food. Right. And good food can be a bowl of grits in New York, and right. that's fine. But what would you – or let's let's say if you were to open a restaurant in New York or maybe up in Montreal or Toronto or something, would you open a Southern restaurant or do you think you would make it more just sort of modern American-ish, whatever kind of food is – prevalent these days. Yeah, I think I cook less and less firmly in a southern vernacular mm-hmm. anyhow. So I think it'd just be the food that I do. And uh, you know, that's that's relatively you know, taking a lot of different aspects yeah. of the world. Uh, but you know, I'm most interested in food uh that's just really pure, always always has a sense of history and um I'm probably most interested in combining the ideas of French food with uh, with Southern food, but in do you, all ways. But all right, so you you have a, you're working on another cookbook, and you've got cookbooks out. Do you feel though that like publishers and whatnot they want to sort of peg you as Southern food authority, Hugh Atchison? And do you feel like you need to play to that sometimes to promote further your brand, as they say? No, I, I think the typecasting has kind of gone away. Um, but you know, it's definitely, I'm still labeled as a Southern chef, yeah. and but you that know, helps sometimes. Yeah, well, it helps sometimes. I mean, Southern food is is still in its good days of getting coverage and being of interest to people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, um, I, I don't think any chef gets called a Northern chef. No, no, they don't. Are you? Uh, you no one said you you got a new cookbook in the works. I have a book on using a slow cooker in a very contemporary so that, way. That's interesting to me because that that is a something that people don't think of as a chef's tool that they would use in the kitchen. What? What's you the know? Deal? All my books what's are not deal? meant to be restaurant cookbooks. No, they're just not. I mean, they're meant to be cooks, but cookbooks that you actually use it. So home. why do you love a slow cook? I mean, what is it about a slow cooker that you want to do a whole cookbook about it? Because the publisher asked me to. Oh, this is how okay. we do business. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was born yesterday. Come on, son. Um, no, I mean it's, but it's applicable and it's interesting. I think it's coming back into something. People, mm-hmm. people want to get back in the kitchen, but they're terrified of getting back in the kitchen. They're terrified of cooking from scratch. So we we needed them to find the tools that make that easier for them. And it's kind of a segue, you know. It's a, it's getting them back in there slowly mm. but surely. I have a question about the slow cooker, of which my in laws are fans. Is it not any different than what's it? Is it just a 
why not? Why can't I just put a Le Creuset in the oven for three hours? You're looking like I'm crazy. Because you know. live in New York, nobody uses their oven. They're clothes I, in there. I, but what what is the upside of a slow cooker exactly? It's just relatively. It's. I mean, yeah, you could mimic the same thing. Yeah, but you can so, just do this on your countertop. But a slow cooker costs like seventy five dollars. Your oven and yeah. your Le Creuset pot. Yeah, well, I'm just tabling <laughs> it up as four thousand eight hundred dollars. So. My mom used to cook. And she still does, but it was more of a like a, I don't know if people should do this, but would set it in the morning and then come home after teaching school yeah. and it would be done yeah, and yeah. ready to serve. And, and that's really the point right. of them and why they're there. But I mean, I don't know if I'd want to walk away from a downtown New York apartment with the oven on even just at 275, but a slow cooker is just, well, I mean, listen, you can, you can go to the bar and have a drink or two and come back. I mean, you leave your kids in the house, go have the to the bar, have a drink or two. It's just like a slow cooker, an oven on. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. I actually had I actually had this discussion with my mom, who grew up in in outside of in Milwaukee in Wisconsin, and like she would say that would have her relatives all the time. Well, they they would leave the kids in the crib, and they would just go down to the corner tavern, like you know, like in Green Bay and stuff. Every corner has a little uh-huh. tavern that's part of the people who live there. And like, yeah, that's just kind of what you did. Yeah, we, we rolled around the back seat, not no seatbelts, not that, not that we're advocating this. <laughs> no. I'm just saying it happened. You know, we also want to talk about Ryan Smith, the chef at Staple House, Staple House, which Andrew Knowlton just named the best new restaurant in America. And apparently he used to work for you for a number you of know, years. You know, Ryan's actually a, a partner at Empire State South. Too. Still. Yeah. 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 So, so he bought it after. He, he came in as a partner after he left. Um, Ryan and I, Ryan came on board as the chef of Empire State South and worked there for almost three years as the executive chef. We're very, very close friends. Ryan is a brilliant, brilliant human and a brilliant chef. Um, and that restaurant is just such a beautiful story that you guys told very, very well. Um, but it just, it, that whole saga of, of, what they've done there and how hard they've worked and the legacy behind it and the giving kitchen and all that is just, uh, it's heartfelt, it's beautiful, and it's the most authentic restaurant that anybody's done in years. It was interesting to me having eaten at Empire State South a few times and, and then to go to Staple House is the food that he was doing at Empire State South was, you know, that was a combination, I'm sure, of your food mm-hmm. and what he wanted to do. But then Very when he so. opened Staple House was much more... You know, I don't, not complex, but the techniques involved seem to be a lot more intricate, and right. and there's a lot of fermentation and crazy stuff. There going was on. a lot of that going on at Empire too. Uh, I think he just pushed to the next level, and okay. when he went to the table house. So, what do you think he took from you and 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 cooking at Empire State South for for three years? Um, I think that Ryan learned a lot about leadership uh, at Empire. Um, I think he learned a lot about how to, how to be a chef that's not only looking at the four walls of a kitchen, but realizing the entirety of a space and what it means to oversee everything in a restaurant that's so important to be a good chef nowadays. Mm. I think if you just look at the four walls of your kitchen and never understand the experience the guests are having out there or how it's so intertwined to... Yeah, the you know the waiter's approach to the table, to how the host is, and to the beverages and everything. He learned a lot of that there, and um, and he learned to be a great leader. And I trusted him and gave him a lot of leeway mm-hmm. to do that. But um, you know, and it's been it's the most Ryan and I work really well together as chefs together. So it's it's just it's been a very easy friendship, but a very great business relationship over the years too. Mm-hmm. So do you know when you have someone like that? 
and you're seeing them grow mm-hmm. the way they grow, and do you know that um, I'm going to lose this guy at some point because he or she is that talented and has that potential? Yes and no. I mean, we see it. I don't think Ryan would have left under any other circumstances but to just open Staple House. Yeah, he had a good job and get, was was getting well rewarded for it financially. And um, and I think that it was just a confluence of things that had to happen to uh, to take the legacy of, of of other Ryan who passed away mm-hmm. and really uh, make make it something. Uh, this was something they had planned together, and he knew he needed to do it. And so I understood that. But to really answer your question, I, you know, Mike, I'm hell bent on hiring people who are better and smarter and more talented than I am. Um, that, that's hard to do. Well, you're Hugh Atchison. It's actually easy to do. <laughs> can they? Can they do watercolors? <laughs> they cannot. But they are going to be great in uh, different ways, and and leaders in different ways, and have skill sets that are very different from mine. And um, my job is to. I'm the baseball manager now. Yeah, I put the team on the field, and I figure out the best people to play those positions. When I find somebody who's an all-star and who's going to be amazing, what we try and do first is really invest in them and give them a partnership in the build in, in a new project that we're working on that's really up their alley that I think is good. And we've done that with Kyle Giacovino at the Florence and Savannah. We've done it with uh, Dale Donche, who uh, is Spiller Park in uh, Ponce Market in Atlanta, mm-hmm. which is our coffee shop. Uh, we did it with Peter Dale at the National in, in Athens. Um, so all these things are really meant to be me identifying people who I don't want to lose, not because they're so talented and I don't want them to compete with me. Mm-hmm. It's more so that I just want to be surrounded by these people. Yeah. And I want to work with them, and they're, they're talented. Mm-hmm. And it's great to find them. Um, before we get to our lightning round, I just want to say for you listeners, uh, if you want to learn more about Staple House and what we've been talking about, you can go to bonappetit.com or just search on Google. Probably easier. Uh, bon Appetit and Staple House. Uh, Andrew wrote a beautiful story about Ryan Smith and the legacy of Ryan Heidegger, the original chef there. Um, and also there's a beautiful video, like a nine-minute documentary we shot. Um, check that out. But now, Hugh, we're doing lightning round. Nolan, you want to go first? I'll go first. So lightning round, just quick answers. got to choose one. Okay. I'm going to go with okra or collards. Okra. Okra. Fried? No. Stewed? Grilled. Grilled. Grilled, ooh. Touche, my friend. Oh. Um, I'm just going straight to this one. Chick-fil-A or Waffle House? Mm, Two very different (laughs) (laughs) beasts. I'm going to go for Waffle House. What's your order? Um, BLT sandwich, nice. Um, and on the Texas toast bread or the regular toast, scattered and peppered hash brown. Uh, on the Texas toast bread, yeah, yeah. Hmm. interesting. Um, not an egg guy. Let's go with senators or Braves. Mm, senators, Ottawa Senators, the oh, hockey geez. team from oh, where you're one. from. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I was thinking like Washington Senators <laughs> or like, Braves. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go Montreal Canadiens. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Montreal Canadiens. Fair enough. Yeah. Canadians. No yep. senators from Ottawa? That's where you're from. I know, but it, when I grew up watching hockey, the senators who were original six team, they yeah. they were not in existence then. They oh, came okay. back in like 1989 okay. or something. Okay. Nor, nor were they good. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, senators. But <laughs> And the Habs. They're the Habs. Yeah. They're the Habs. Um, okay. How about, uh, oh, this I like this one. Triscuits or Ritz crackers? Triscuits. With the nice. pimento cheese? Yeah, yeah, that's a good yeah. match. Yeah, let's go sweet tea or Coca Cola. Mm, neither. Wow, Ooh. 
I don't like sweet, sweet beverages. You're not Southern. I'll take a half and half tea. <laughs> okay. Half lemonade, half iced tea. Which would also be a... Arnold oh, just ha- oh, Arnold Or I'll do half unsweet and half sweet. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I don't know what this has to do with the South or with Canada, but gnocchi or nudie? Gnocchi. How do you like your gnocchi? Do you make gnocchi? That I make been? gnocchi. Good gnocchi? Good gnocchi. Yeah. yeah. Basic, ba- basic tomato sauce? What do you like? Yeah, or a, like a lamb, bra- braised lamb. Ooh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Lots of fresh mint. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so. You know what you know what, you know what? can cook that lamb in? A slow cooker. You can. <laughs> Time you get home <laughs> from work, it's like 6.45, it's falling apart tender. Mm. You can get a Le Creuset and put it in your oven at 2.75 <laughs> while you're getting drunk downstairs and the kids are bobbling down up there, whatever. All right. Uh. Hopefully you know what I'm talking about here. Beaver tails or Krispy Kreme? Beaver tails. I, Tell I, us what I, beaver tails Because yeah, I don't know. <laughs> beaver tails are like, it looks like a pita bread, but it's a slightly sweet dough uh, that's that's a fried dough. And then mm. when it, once it comes out and it uh, looks like the shape of a beaver's tail, <laughs> um, it is uh, done with uh, brown sugar and, or granulated white sugar and then... Uh, usually lemon juice and cinnamon. Oh, interesting. It's um, great. Where do I get a beaver tail? You get them in Ottawa at the Byward Market um, mm. in little stands. Ooh, they're really smell, good. They smell really they good. They smell really I've, good. I actually, I've had one uh, beaver tail and that was in the market at uh, in Toronto. They, there was a special Ottawa thing and they were doing beaver tails. And when you hear the name beaver tail, you want to you wanna try it. You do. Uh, on a similar note, poutine or nachos? Poutine. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm over the whole poutine thing. It's just like gloppy <laughs> stuff on top of my French fries. You know like it's what? Too much, it's too much stuff. Like the fries get soggy. The fries are supposed to get no, soggy. No, they're not. Fries are supposed to be crispy. Put the stuff on the side and then no, you can dip it in there. Uh, uh, you know what's better than cheese you're, fries? You're telling French the Canadian, fries. I am going to regionalize this. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Okay. Look, the other there there are certain regional foods in this world that should not be made anywhere else, and poutine is one of them. Poutine should stay in Quebec and maybe in Ottawa. I agree and, with that. You know, if I go to a poutine bar in Portland, Oregon, you know, it's like yes. what the fuck? Come after on, I, guys. After I go to Wanda's in Montreal, I want to go to yeah. have poutine. You yeah, know, if you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, creature comforts or Budweiser. Creature Comforts. Tell us what Creature Comforts Creature is. Comforts is a wonderful small brewery in Athens, Georgia that's just making some amazing, amazing beers. And they're just, they're different beers. They're really yeah. light and beautiful and citrusy almost and really refreshing. They're great southern beers. There is nothing wrong with a cold Budweiser like I'm drinking now. Right. Um, it is the king of beers. It says, um, so. It says so on the can. It says so. <laughs> that's what it, I'm It would be reading. false advertising if it weren't. That's right. So, but Creature Comforts is great, and it's a beautiful venue, and I've got an amazing tasting program during the day, and they've just been inordinately successful, and they've just got some really amazing people behind them. All right. Uh, last question, because we got to go. Olive oil or butter? Butter. Right. Hugh Atchison, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast has been brought to you by Carrie Polis, Emma Wurtzman, and Lily Sherman, with editing by Mitra Kaboli. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Grady's. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.